Hello and welcome to our podcast. Today we continue with There's an Untold Story in Every Told Story. This is part two. If you haven't read or listened to part one, you should go listen or read it so you catch up. Now, before I continue with today's story, I would like to highlight or perhaps just clear the air on a couple of things that I I think should have been made obvious in my last post. See, it's easy to pay attention to one small negative thing like me being a fly on the wall. However, I want to make it crystal clear that the experience was an extremely beautiful one for me. I love the food, the ambience. I love those who took time out to chat with me and make me feel at home and at ease and and felt part of a beautiful family irrespective of who I was or where I came from. I love the families and and their shared love for one another. The beauty of uniting two hearts, two families and two bloodlines, it was the occasion of the day and nothing could take away from that experience. Now, I've thought about Rabbi Z quite a bit since the event and how kind he was for inviting me to the wedding. He didn't have to, but he did. I would imagine I was the least of those who gave to his organization. Actually, I barely gave anything at all. If anything, I think he did a mitzvot by inviting me. For those who don't speak Hebrew, uh, mitzvot is just plural for mitzvah. Mitzvah means commandment in English. It kind of reminds me of the saying of Jesus where he says, if you give a cup of cold water to any of these little ones of mine, you shall by no means lose your reward. That's in Matthew 10 verse 42. Now about the wedding. Um, I got to the wedding and was greeted by his daughter, Rachel. Uh, she's a younger sister to the bride. I told her my first name and she immediately made an attempt at pronouncing my last name, asking, are you Gloria XYZ? And, and I responded with, how did you know my name? She smiled and responded with, uh, she responded with, it's my job to know everyone who's coming. So everyone feels at home and part of the family. She had the most warm and welcoming smile. I, I kind of felt completely at home just as, just by staring at her. Um, she taught me to pronounce her name with uh, a traditional Hebrew chet, like Rachel. It was fun talking to her. I asked where her dad was, and she responded with, uh, he's gone to the men's section. I said, the men's section? She chuckled and said, uh, at Hasidic weddings, uh, females celebrate with the bride, while males would celebrate with the groom in separate areas. This was fascinating information to me because I wasn't aware that males and females were separated at uh, at traditional Hasidic weddings. I chatted with her for a little bit, then I quickly wandered my way around the venue to catch a quick glimpse of the place and try to mingle with others. After meeting and chatting with a few people, including the the nanny who gave me her charger from from part one, if you again if you haven't read it, just go back and read it or listen. Um, I ended up settling with a nice lady named Branya. She talked me through the various parts of the wedding. Uh, she was Hasidic with a family line from Russia, hence the name Branya. Now, I had arrived at the part of the event known as the Kabola's Ponim or Pre-Hupa uh, reception. 
this part of the wedding is a mixture of singing, light refreshments, and words of Torah, followed by the bride's veiling by the groom. Uh, the mood was festive yet solemn. What intrigued me the most was how the entire event was tied up around God's connection to his people. Um, the idea of wedding in traditional Jewish thought is always tied to the Torah and the belief in God being the divine groom. You'll find this uh, ideology echoed subtly in um, John chapter 2, verse 1 through 11, where Jesus performs his first miracle at a wedding feast in the uh, Cana of Galilee. Now, to shed some light on this ideology, I'll briefly describe what a Hebrew or Jewish wedding entails. Um, Hebrew weddings are broken into two distinct parts. The first part is called the Kedushin or Erusin, which is the betrothal stage, while the second part is known as the Nisuin, the actual wedding, which is what I was attending today. Um, in biblical times, the Kedushin or the betrothal happens a year before the actual wedding. But in modern times, some traditions may carry out the betrothal on the same day as the wedding. The betrothal is actually a romantic experience, at least from what I've heard and what I've learned. I often kind of wonder why it's called uh, Kedushin, because Kedushin means uh, sanctification or dedication. The root word is uh, Kadosh, which means holy. I guess it's for the same reason one might call any other marriage holy matrimony. But no one ever calls getting engaged holy or dedicated. Most people would yell, hey, I just got engaged or uh, I just got engaged to this guy or this girl. Not, hey, I just got dedicated to this guy or this girl. You know what I mean? The rabbis teach that it's called Kiddushin because before the giving of the Torah, marriage was very transactional. Uh, Pre-Torah, both parties got together and shacked up or live together for the sake of fulfilling individual needs without really giving any commitment to each other. But with the giving of the Torah to the sons of Israel came a responsibility or a sense of responsibility for the sacredness in marriage. The Torah mandated a sense of commitment. When the man chooses his bride, he had to dedicate himself to her and likewise she had to dedicate herself to him. The Kedushin involves giving the betrothal blessings, uh, the proposal, and the giving of the ring before two witnesses. Most traditions will have the man give the woman something valuable. Um, this would be the wedding contract, which is known in Hebrew as the Ketubah, uh, detailing how he plans to care for her all of his life. Um, he would also give something of a large monetary value. It could be an expensive ring or it could even be him giving himself to her on that day. I, here I am, take me home with, with you. Though I, I don't understand how that works because the very act of proposing is giving himself to her already. Now, this kind of reminds me of the betrothal process in Africa. In my own tribe, for example, the betrothal is known as an introduction. Unfortunately, the Torah isn't read or mentioned in, at these events, but the processes are quite similar. The man gives the woman a marriage contract, like the Ketubah, uh, detailing how he will care for her. He brings with him what's known as a bride price, which is usually uh, an expensive gift for her and her family. In biblical Hebrew context, 
this would be what's known as the moha um the and the wedding doesn't usually take place until after the betrothal has taken place in both cases you know african and jewish the bride and the groom are considered married for all intents and purposes from the inception at betrothal but the marriage isn't consummated until after the actual wedding like the nesuin now the biblical tradition of waiting a year between betrothal and marriage does put a lot into context I think of Joseph being betrothed to Mary and after finding her pregnant before the consummation of their marriage, he wanted to put her away privately, i.e. give her a divorce. That's in Matthew 1 verse 18 through 20. It also kind of makes me wonder, like, why one year? Why not two days or one month or six months? You know, like they do in modern days. But this tradition of a year between the Kedushin betrothal and the nesuin, the actual wedding in Jesus's day, sheds it sheds some light on Matthew chapter nine verse fifteen, where Jesus answered, um, saying, "How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them; then they will fast." It also kind of calls to mind Daniel's seventy weeks. And, uh, and Messiah being cut off in the middle of the week. Mm. But before I get carried away, let's get back to the wedding. The pre-Hooper reception ended with a lady reading a scripture, uh, giving a sermon around the significance of the event and telling us what was to come next. She explained that the, the groom would come veil his bride, symbolically telling her that he wasn't marrying her for the sake of her beauty alone. He was marrying the hidden part of her. She, she mentioned that this tradition dates back to the time of Rebecca, who veiled herself upon seeing Isaac, her betrothed. After the veiling of the bride by the groom was done, we watched the bride being led to the chuppah by her parents. They were holding candlelights. Um, this followed a, a few minutes later with the groom being led as well to the chuppah by his parents holding candlelights as well. Now, watching this procession to the hoopla reminded me of Jesus' parable about the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins in Matthew 25, verse 1 through 13. Um, I still wasn't sure why they had to carry lights, though. Um, perhaps in Galilean tradition, this would have been different. Maybe the wife was led to her husband's house at night, uh, hence the oil lamps that the virgins had to carry. All the same, it's all about being ready to escort the bride or the groom, depending on if you are female or all male. Now, I couldn't help but notice that the bride never stopped smiling all through the event. My my friendly host, Branya, told me both of them haven't seen each other in a week. It's modern Hasidic tradition for both of them to avoid each other over, over the period of one week before the wedding. It's believed that this builds up the excitement when they finally come back together at the wedding. I could literally smell the excitement and it was romantic and palpable. Now, mind you, I don't know them from Adam. So chances are the palpability of the excitement I'm sensing right now is probably coming from me uh, thinking through life, love and Messiah and his bride. But the female MC, um, she had tied the Hopa ceremony to God being the divine Hopa. 
and his marriage to the Jewish people when he gave the Torah. She said, many of the customs observed at a Jewish wedding mirrors the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, um, which was the cosmic marriage between God and Israel. Hence, it all begins with the groom being called up to the Torah. I couldn't help but think about Messiah's chupa and his promise of and his promise of coming back to receive us to himself. I was soon startled out of my daydreaming by the new male MC's voice. The bride and groom and their families were now uh, comfortably under the chupa, and the MC was reciting a series of blessings while the bride and her entourage um, walked in a circular motion around the groom. Um, they had to recite seven blessings. The MC called out to the audience uh, to connect to the blessings in this very moment and in this tradition. He said, for those needing healing, for those needing Yeshua, connect to the blessings in this. At first I thought, did he just say for those needing Yeshua? I, I chuckled at the beauty of hearing that line from my own point of view. I watched the blessings and prayers till the end. And then I, I went looking for Rabbi Z to thank him for inviting me. After finding him and thanking him, I followed the female crowd to the banqueting hall while I also watched the bride and the groom go into, the into a secluded area. The banqueting hall was beautifully set and brightly lit with free sitting for all. I picked a spot next to Branya and enjoyed some delicious salmon with what looked like uh, sp spaghetti zucchini. Bronny and I talked about our lives and we enjoyed each other's company. It turns out she works for the Kabad and has worked for them for over, over 30 years. At this point, I, I was no longer thinking of the guy who got kicked out of the feast from the parable in Matthew 22, verse 1 to 14. 14. I, I was remembering Revelation 19, verse uh, 9, which says, uh, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I ended up leaving early before the part of dancing and drinking with the bride because I had kids to get back to and I didn't want to drive back while it was super late. I was a stranger in this area in the driving in the dark in unfamiliar places wasn't my strong suit. Although I didn't get to the dancing and drinking part, I left the wedding with a heart full. After leaving, I can't remember the bride's face and how happy she looked. I looked through the pictures I had taken, especially the faces of those at my table in the banqueting hall. I couldn't help but notice this sense of solemn or somber or perhaps it was just humble expression on, on their faces. There's an untold story in every story. And the story of this African girl at a Hasidic wedding started a long time ago when Yeshua, a Galilean Jew, had his introduction to our world. Back then, he gave himself as a gift, as the gift. Today, we say, Abba, and Bo Yeshua. For those of you who don't speak Hebrew, what I said was, thank you very much, Father, and come, Jesus. Amen.